Hello, everyone, and welcome to the July 4th edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation news. Some major industry claim executives say that employers are opting to incur the additional costs of leaving workers' compensation claims open rather than paying extremely high Medicare set-aside funding requirements for closing cases with prescription drug expenses. Experts say the practice contradicts the orthodox strategy of closing claims as quickly as possible and is among several forces driving an overall slowing of claims closures for older cases. The reluctance to close some claims is driven by the large monetary value of prescription drugs calculated by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Some employers are opting to leave claims with pharmacy components open and pay claims expenses over time rather than fund the lump sum that CMS calculated is necessary for settlement. Some employers are reaching agreements with the claimant to settle the indemnity portion of claims while continuing to manage the medical component because of CMS extreme cost projections. CMS projections do not take into account that a higher cost brand name drug someday will be available in lower cost generic form. Instead, CMS calculates the price of the brand name drug over the expected life of the claimant. CMS may also fail to recognize that a claimant may need a prescription drug only for a finite period rather than for his or her expected lifetime. In light of such projections, some employers opt to wait until claimants are off certain drugs before settling a claim. And now our fraud report. Monica Ung owner and president of NBC General Contractor Corporation, has entered guilty pleas in Alameda Superior Court for violating the fraud provisions of the Insurance and Labor Code. Ong was sentenced to four years in state prison and ordered to repay $350,000 in restitution to individual workers and $850,000 to the state compensation insurance fund. A joint investigation revealed that Ung, along with her office manager and payroll specialist, made intentional misrepresentations to the state fund regarding their payroll and job classifications of 70 workers. The cost of NBC's workers' compensation insurance was determined by the employee hourly rate of pay, the total amount of employee payroll, and the job description of each of the employees. The false reporting allowed NBC to operate at an advantage over honest employers who correctly reported their payroll and risk. The majority of the work NBC performed involved public works projects such as the Moscone Clubhouse, El Cerrito City Hall, Fox Court Apartments, and Piedmont Elementary School. Such projects mandate compliance with the state prevailing wage law and union requirements. Public works projects are normally awarded to the lowest bidder. In addition, investigators allege that NBC did not pay prevailing wage, overtime, sick leave, and other statutory benefits as required by labor laws. The court has restricted Ung's two contracting licenses, and she is barred from using both until all restitution is repaid. And in regulatory news, higher gasoline prices have prompted the Internal Revenue Service to make an unusual mid-year increase to the standard mileage rate for business-related driving. The rate will jump to 55.5 cents per mile for travel in July through December 2011. 
This is an increase of four and one-half cents from the current rate of 51 cents a mile. Labor Code Section 4600E2, in conjunction with Government Code Section 19820, requires claims administrators to reimburse injured workers for travel expenses at the rate adopted by the Director of the Department of Personnel Administration for non-represented state employees. In a convoluted way, this rate in turn is tied to the Internal Revenue Service published mileage rate. The mileage rate paid to injured workers for travel related to medical treatment or evaluation of their injuries should be increased to match the IRS rate. The new rate will apply for travel on or after July 1, 2011, regardless of the date of injury. Generally, the IRS adjusts the mileage rate once a year through the tax agency made similar mid-year changes in 2008. The DWC has not yet made any formal announcement of the rate increase, nor have they updated their forms. Nonetheless, the code provisions indicate the necessity for a rate change on July 1st based upon the unexpected IRS announcement. The Division of Workers' Compensation has proposed an update to selected qualified medical evaluator regulations. The proposed amendments pertain to the following sections. Section 100, the application for appointment as qualified medical evaluator form. Section 104, the reappointment application as qualified medical evaluator form. Section 105, the request for qualified medical evaluator panel, unrepresented form and attachment form 105. Section 106, the request for qualified medical evaluator panel, represented form and attachment. The proposal will change these QME forms and regulations by new specialties for chiropractors. The regulations provide that the administrative director shall recognize only those specialty boards recognized by the respective California licensing boards for physicians as defined in the labor code. The definition of physicians includes chiropractic practitioners. The Board of Chiropractic Examiners approves chiropractic specialties that are recognized by the American Chiropractic Association or the International Chiropractic Association. The changes in the regulations proposed to conform the QME regulations to the Chiropractic Board's authorized specialties, which include the following, DCN or Chiropractic Neurology, DCO or Chiropractic Orthopedic, DCS or chiropractic sports medicine. A public hearing on the regulations is scheduled for Tuesday, August 9th at 10 o'clock a.m. until 5 o'clock p.m. or until conclusion of business at the Alaihu Harris State Office Building Auditorium, 1515 Clay Street in Oakland. The Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation announced the release of the Eames Information Technology Needs Assessment Report. The Needs Assessment Report addresses questions from the Assembly Insurance Commission Chair, uh, Committee Chairman Jose Solorio about Eames' significant shortcomings. The report authors claim that Eames has not fulfilled the needs it was designed to meet and has created new problems for the DWC, internal users, and other stakeholders. Here are some of the shortcomings noted in the report. Logon access to EAMS has not been made widely available due to the licensing models of the vendor providing EAMS underlying case management functionality. Those without access rely on DWC clerical staff to scan documents into the system for them. But 
and over half the DWC offices scanning backlogs are significant with typical delays of weeks, not days. As online access to EAMS has been limited, the time and labor-saving improvements have been unrealizable to date. EAMS still does not support certain intrinsic needs for workers' compensation case adjudication, the most pressing example being the need to assess multiple injuries for an individual. Error-checking routines are inadequate to catch and prevent user errors in data entry. For example, a worker's injury date can predate his birth date. Templates are missing that would aid in preparing many common orders and other documents. Tasks for judges set by the system are often meaningless and can be overlooked even when important. User error is rife, particularly in the scanning process. FileNet, the EAMS online document management software, is experienced as slow and cumbersome to use and has no automatic facility for logically organizing documents in EAMS consistently or across other EAMS screens. DWC clerks who process scanned submissions make frequent errors, especially in entering document names and dates of receipt. As a result, many judges find it difficult to assemble the information necessary for successful case management. Technicians supporting EAMS have been redirected to develop the new approach called jet filing and are taken away from improving core EAMS system functions. Change requests to improve the system have been put on hold even were urgently needed to address critical issues and major irritants. Improvements needed to address these issues in the short term include addressing the staffing and licensing issues which constrain EAMS from reaching its potential and its user community. Despite these shortcomings, there was some positive feedback reported. Users interviewed cited many benefits of EAMS. Judges and commissioners lauded the ability to view case information online, and presiding judges said EAMS information helped them manage office and regional task allocations. EAMS has alleviated file storage shortages, reduced the volume of shipments of physical files, and enabled multiple users to review a file concurrently. Commissioners appreciate the ability offered by EAMS of being able to establish carve-out appeal cases instead of going through DWC for the carve-out appeal case creation. The complete 74-page report has many suggestions for improvement and is now available online for public comment. And amidst the EAMS criticism, the DWC launched the JET file, a new fast, flexible, and reliable electronic filing option for the workers' compensation courts. JetFile offers many advantages for claims administrators, representatives, lien claimants, and self-insured employers. It was designed and built in conjunction with external users for those annually filing 100 or more of any one of the six most common court forms. JetFile will also impact the workers' compensation courts by reducing the amount of paper received at the division's 24 district offices. Christine Baker, acting director of the Department of Industrial Relations, said that it is important to encourage more participation in electronic filing as a way to improve the efficiency of EAMS. The vision for JetFile was crystallized in early 2010 when DWC and its working group of claims administrators, attorneys, service providers, lien claimants, and others sought ways to improve filing. The vision was followed by months of work on technical requirements, development, and testing. Users can get help 
finding out which electronic filing method best suits their business needs by reviewing the electronic filing walkthrough video on the DWC's e-team webpage. And in legislative news, Governor Brown may have signaled his lack of an appetite for anti-business legislation as he vetoed a farm workers bill despite strong protests from union organizers. The proposal has been the United Farm Workers' top legislative goal for years. The bill Brown vetoed would have made it easier for farm laborers to organize. It would have allowed the union to bargain for employees without holding an election by simply collecting signatures from a majority of workers on cards saying they wanted representation. Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger vetoed similar measures four times during his seven years in office. Supporters of the latest bill had been hopeful that Brown would approve it. Union leaders reacted angrily. UFW President Arturo Rodriguez said that the governor has decided to side with the rich against the powerless. The pressure on Brown to sign the bill by state Senate leader Daryl Steinberg was intense. For nearly two weeks, UFW representatives flooded the Capitol urging Brown to approve the measure. They held protests and vigils outside his office. Steinberg's bill was a priority for Democrats this year and one Republicans fiercely opposed. The governor's veto helps keep him in the political center. Brown has often referred to such centrism as the canoe theory of governing, paddling a little on the left and a little on the right, and staying in the middle. There are few workers' compensation bills working their way through the legislature this year, some of which will increase costs if passed. Nonetheless, it is no longer reasonable to assume that Governor Brown will give an automatic approval to new comp laws so long as he continues to adhere to a self-proclaimed canoe theory of governance. And now our medical report. The 2010 Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, required the Department of Health and Human Services to enlist the Institute of Medicine in examining pain as a public health problem. The Institute of Medicine was asked to assess the state of the science regarding pain research, care, and education, and to make recommendations to advance the field. A new analysis undertaken as part of the study finds that the medical and economic costs of pain care amount to as much as $635 billion a year. The report says that healthcare providers, insurers, and the public need to understand that although pain is universal, it is experienced uniquely by each person. Pain is more than a physical symptom and is not always resolved by curing the underlying condition. Persistent pain can cause changes in the nervous system and become a distinct chronic disease. Moreover, people's experience of pain can be influenced by genes, cultural attitudes towards hardships, stress, depression, ability to understand health information, and other behavioral, cultural, and emotional factors. Successful treatment of pain requires an integrated approach that responds to all the factors that influence pain. The majority of care and management should take place through primary care providers and patient self-management, with specialty care services reserved for more complex cases. Healthcare organizations should take the lead in developing innovative approaches and materials to coach and empower patients in self-management. 
Training programs for dentists, nurses, physicians, psychologists, and other health professionals should include pain education in their curricula and promote interdisciplinary learning. Many healthcare professionals are not adequately prepared to provide the full range of pain care or to guide patients in self-managing chronic pain. A recent study found that only five of the nation's 133 medical schools have required courses on pain and just 17 offer elective courses. Licensing and certification exams should include assessment of pain-related knowledge and capabilities. Programs that train specialists or offer training in advanced pain care need to be expanded. The report calls on Medicare, Medicaid, workers' compensation programs, and private health plans to find ways to cover interdisciplinary pain care. The complete 328-page report is free and available online. Well, that's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and, of course, much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your iPod by searching for the WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd's Karen and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.